Well, welcome again, ladies. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Let's get started on our lecture. Thanks for being here at Women in the Word as we continue our summer study called Who Are Those Guys Anyway? My name is Misty Denman, and I am so excited to be here with you as we study the book of Philemon. Uh, this is a busy week here at Christ Chapel, as we talked about in um, the praise time that it's Kids Camp Week. I'd love to know who is here that has either kids or grandkids that um, are at Kids Camp. That is fun. Okay, and then how many of you are here tonight who are volunteering at Kids Camp? Okay, that is awesome that so many of you made it back here tonight because I know that you're tired and that's not easy. Last year, both of my two boys um, went to kids' camp, but I um, did not volunteer to help. And on that first morning when I drove them up here, I was super excited because I was going to drop my boys off. They were going to have a blast hearing about the Lord, and I was going to spend a couple of hours all by myself at Starbucks and Target. Well, I got here, and I think every person I had ever known or met was in their volunteer T-shirts, and suddenly I felt pretty lame about my plans to go to Target. And then to make it worse, one of my boys' groups, you know, they line up all down here at Birchman every day, was the very last group at the end of Birchman, which meant I had to walk from my car all the way down Birchman and back four times every day, like trying not to make eye contact and not looking at anybody because they were all helping and like blessing my kids, and I was just going to Starbucks. And anyway, it was a bummer. Both of my kids um, had to miss this year. We had other things going on, and we have missed it so much as a family. But I have not missed the crummy feeling that I had um, about choosing coffee over kids' camp. So for the last three weeks, Kathy Harrelson has led us in a study of the book of Titus. And now we have the answer to who that guy is and what that book is about. Tonight, we get to ask and answer the same question about Philemon. And with Philemon, it's a really easy question to ask. Philemon is the shortest book in the New Testament. It's only 25 verses long. And because it's so short, it's just easy to miss sometimes as we're going through our New Testament. There was a cold winter day last February when I read through Philemon for the first time in anticipation of being here tonight. I read through it once, and I closed my Bible, and I thought, whoa, this is going to be a short evening because there's not that much in there. But as I have studied, I have discovered there is so much in this small book um, that the Lord has to teach us about being obedient, about how to live out some of the doctrine we find in other New Testament books. Philemon is a very personal letter written about a very specific situation all the way back in the first century. But that specific situation and how the people in it deal with what is happening has much to teach us about how we live out our faith today. This letter is a personal struggle between a slave and a slave owner. And in their struggle, we get to see this real-life picture of biblical principles coming to life and being lived out. Tonight, as we study Philemon, we will see that God's Word and the work of his Holy Spirit in our lives has the power to change every relationship in our lives for the better. 
Let's open our Bibles, if you're not already there, to Philemon. And I'll give you a second to find it. It's right between Titus and Hebrews. You might be able to find Hebrews pretty easily because we've been studying it here on Sundays. And we'll start by reading verses 1 through 3. So follow along with me as I read. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So in these verses, we learned this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. He's written the letter while he's in prison, and he calls himself a prisoner for Christ Jesus. So we know that he's being held because of his ministry to the Gentiles in and around Rome. The year is about 62 A.D., and Paul is writing to his good friend Philemon. Philemon lives in the city of Colossae, and this is a city that's home to another church that Paul writes a separate letter to that is our letter of uh, the book of Colossians. Philemon has a home that's large enough to house the local church, so we know that he's a wealthy man, and we also know that he has dedicated his time and his resources to serving the cause of Christ. It's most likely that Philemon met Paul several years earlier when Paul was teaching and preaching the gospel in Ephesus. I have a map to show you where um, Colossae and Ephesus are. So you can see where Colossae is. This is where Philemon lives. And then Ephesus is about 100 miles away. And that's where Paul would have been teaching and preaching. Uh, Philemon must have traveled there, heard the gospel, and then come back home to Colossae and either joined or started a local church. And you can also see, just by way of reference, where Rome is and then also where the Holy Land is. That was over on the other side. So this um, letter is written to Philemon, but Paul also mentions his wife, Aphia, and she would have needed to know the contents of this letter because as the wife, she would have had the day-to-day responsibilities for any slaves that they owned. And Archippus is either their son or perhaps a pastor in the local church. So the letter is written specifically to Philemon, but we know that because Paul mentions these other people, he meant for the letter to be shared with them as well. So let's go on and read verses 4 through 7. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. So in these verses, Paul is telling us that fellowship with other believers brings refreshment and encouragement to their hearts and to ours. So on your outline, refresh one another. When Paul tells Philemon that he's thankful in these verses for both his faith in Jesus and his love for other believers, that is because these two things go hand in hand. Our faith in Christ leads to our love for those around us. Notice in verse 5 that Paul says that Philemon loves all the saints. This idea that we are to love all of God's people is a major part of what Paul talks about. So watch for that in the rest of this letter. 
So a natural outflow of our faith in Jesus is going to be a bond with and a love for all our brothers and sisters who know the Lord like we do. And this really makes sense. We have a common Savior in Jesus. We have a common purpose in life to know the Lord and to make him known. We get to spend eternity with each other in heaven. So these are some very deep things that connect us to each other despite what our differences may be. In verse 6, the meaning of so that you may be active in sharing your faith is a little bit tricky to understand depending sometimes on what version you're reading. When Paul talks about being active in sharing your faith, he's referring to this big idea of living life, um, doing ministry, and having fellowship with other believers. So certainly sharing ministry together would include evangelism, talking to those who don't know the Lord about Jesus But Paul isn't talking about just that. It's this whole big idea of living life and doing ministry together in every way. So why is it that Paul prays that we'll share our lives and ministries with each other? It is because that fellowship with other believers deepens our understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Things like our salvation, the fruits of the Spirit, um, peace with God, the Holy Spirit living in us, our, our personal blessings, and we could go on. So that we see in these verses that these men and women in Philemon's church refreshed and encouraged each other. And Paul, in fact, is even encouraged while he's in prison. Because in addition to his relationship with the Lord and then his friendship with these other believers, he gets to see that they have these great relationships with one another. And even in prison, this refreshes and encourages him. One of the things I love most in this world is to um, go to my boys' bedroom door and listen to them after they've gone to bed at night. I have two boys who are 9 and 11. They share a room And often about 15 or 20 minutes after they go to bed, I'll go and stand at the door and see if they've sort of settled down. Lots of times it's totally quiet. But then there are those nights where I go and stand and listen, and they're sort of giggling and laughing together and talking. And in fact, it's sort of the time of day where I've noticed that they get along the best. And I love to listen to them. And there is almost nothing in this world that refreshes my heart like listening to their fellowship with one another. So we really know that we need these kind of relationships that Paul is talking about. So what keeps us from encouraging one another? What keeps us from refreshing one another? I will be the first one to admit that I let the busyness of life um, stop me from deepening those relationships I have with other women who know and love the Lord. But let's not let that happen. Let's take time to refresh, encourage one another, to cultivate those God-given relationships. In fact, it's one of the things that I love most about coming to Women in the Word is that I have a weekly time in addition to studying the Word to come to small group and be refreshed and encouraged and sharpened by those women that are around me. And it never fails that when I leave here, I am ready to walk more closely with the Lord. That is the kind of fellowship that Paul is talking about. In our relationships, let's be willing to share both hard things and good things that are going on in our lives. Let's be intentional about cultivating and nourishing those life-giving relationships that the Lord provides for us. Throughout this letter that Paul writes to Philemon, 
I saw a story of men who were working to live out that famous love doctrine in 1 Corinthians 13. You know what I'm talking about? Love is patient. Love is kind. I wonder how many of you had that passage of scripture read at your wedding. Did anybody have that in their wedding? Only a few of you. Okay. I tried remembering if I had that at my wedding, and the answer is I do not know. I um, was really nervous, lightheaded that day. I don't have a video of it, and I only remember little bits and pieces of the whole day. And in fact, I asked my husband if he remembered if it was red, and his response was, I don't know, that day was really a blur. So I do know that we're legally married. I came across my marriage license recently. Um, And so that's the important part. And I also know that I've heard it read at many other weddings. And I've heard it read so many times, in fact, that I tend to let that scripture sort of go in one ear and out the other without thinking about it very carefully. And that is such a mistake because that is really deep and powerful truth. So let's look on your verse sheet at that very first um, scripture, 1 Corinthians 13. This was also written by Paul. And it says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. In the story that unfolds in Philemon, we get to see a picture of this teaching being applied to real life, but it's not in the context of a husband and a wife as we often think of the scripture in terms of, but it's between two brothers in the Lord. My husband and some of his old college friends, a few of his friends now, but particularly his old college friends, have always called each other bro. And I can't tell you how many times in my life I've heard, good to see you, bro. Can't wait to see you again, bro. And I've always loved that they did that because it's this sort of manly way to convey um, a love for each other and this deep connection that they have as Christ followers. When Paul encourages us to refresh one another, that is a real and practical way for all of us in God's family to live out verses 4 and 5 in 1 Corinthians 13 on your outline. Love is kind and is not self-seeking. So let's move on and look at verses 8 through 11. In this section, some amazing things are going to begin to happen because Paul teaches life-changing truth to Philemon. On your outline, regard one another as equals. And let's read verses 8 through 11. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and me. So this is a good place to stop and get some background on who these guys are. Onesimus is a slave who belongs to Philemon. He had at some point prior to this letter run away from Philemon's home. He probably stole either money or something valuable to finance his escape. And his plan would have been to escape to another city, never to be caught or returned. 
after he runs away, he ends up in the same city where Paul is in prison. And we don't know exactly how these two men came in contact, but they did. It could have been that Onesimus was familiar with Paul because of Philemon and Paul's friendship. It might have been that he was looking for Paul um, to help him in some way as a fugitive. He might have had a guilty conscience um, for what he had done, and he sought Paul out to help. We don't know the circumstances that brought these two men together, but we do know it was part of God's plan. Because while Onesimus visits Paul in prison, Paul shares the gospel with him, Onesimus trusts Christ, and everything from Onesimus changes from that point on. On your verse sheet, let's read Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So Onesimus did not know when he first walked into that prison that he was going to come out knowing and loving the Lord, but that's exactly what happened. And from that point on, we see God's good hand of favor on Onesimus' life in this story. And Onesimus, we will see a life transformed by Christ's work on the cross. And we know that because we read in verse 11 that Paul says that formerly he, Onesimus, was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and me. Formerly, he had run away from Philemon, never to return. But now he is a beloved brother and friend to Paul, and he is going to have a chance to set things right with his brother Philemon. Okay, so let's stop here and talk about slavery in the first century Roman Empire because there were certainly similarities, but there were also some real differences between slavery at this time and place and what we think of as slavery in the American antebellum South. First of all, at this time, slavery was not based on race. So the slaves in the Roman Empire would have been indistinguishable in appearance and dress from those around them. And this would have made running away a lot more of a possibility for Onesimus. As the Roman Empire grew and conquered territories around them, it was their practice to take some of those conquered people and bring them back into the heart of the empire and use them as slaves. Also, it would not have been uncommon for the very poor to either sell themselves or their children into slavery for a set amount of time like an indentured servant. And so slaves were often freed at some time in their life. Slaves were used in all segments of society from top to bottom, most often as unskilled laborers, farm hands. But they were also sometimes seen as teachers, um, lawyers, merchants, and even doctors. The slave population at this time was huge. There are estimates that about 30% of the Roman Empire were slaves, and in the large cities, it could have risen to up to 80%. Slaves were allowed to earn extra money on the side to buy their freedom, but I'm sure that was a very difficult thing to do. And they were, as slaves were in America, the legal property of those who owned them. They were at the very bottom of the social ladder, and they were at the complete mercy of their owners who could um, treat them as kindly or as cruelly as they saw fit. And because it was a system that allowed for such exploitation, it was in no way God's best for these men and women that he had created in his image. So with these things in mind, let's go on in our passage. Let's look at verse 8. In verse 8, Paul says that he has the authority as an apostle to force Philemon um, 
to pardon Onesimus for his crimes. And yet Paul chooses not to exercise his authority. Instead, he chooses to approach Philemon as a brother and as a friend. In the rest of this letter, Paul is going to lay out his arguments for why Philemon should give pardon to Onesimus, but then he allows Philemon to make his own choice about what he will do in this situation. If Philemon chooses to love and forgive Onesimus, certainly there will be great blessing for Onesimus, but there would be even greater blessing for Philemon because by him choosing to do what was right, he will have an opportunity for much spiritual growth and blessing than if he were simply forced to do it and did it out of obligation. On your verse sheet, look at 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9, and let's read that. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Okay, now look back with me at verse 9, where Paul says, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I like Paul's subtle way of reminding Philemon who's doing the asking here when he says, Hey, I'm old, I'm your friend, I'm sitting in this dark prison cell. Do you really want to say no to me? But there's also this very serious side to this verse as well, because by reminding Philemon that he is a prisoner for Christ, he is telling him he knows he's asking Philemon to do a hard thing and to give up a lot of his rights, but he's not asking Philemon to do any more than he has already done for Christ. So in this way, he is a great example to Philemon. In verse 10, Paul calls Onesimus his son, and that refers back to the fact that Paul had led Onesimus to Christ earlier. And then several times through this letter, we notice that Paul calls Philemon his brother. By using these words, brother and son, Paul is placing himself and Philemon and Onesimus on this level playing field. And it is an amazing thing that Paul, an apostle, And Philemon, who was this well-known, well-respected man in his community and in his church, and Onesimus, a fugitive from the law, a runaway slave, would be considered equals. In the eyes of the world, never would have happened. But Paul knew that all three of these men were just sinners saved by grace and that all three, no matter how they were seen by the world, were equally valued members of the family of God. Our world always has and always will put people in categories and then assign them worth based on those categories. But Jesus sees us as equally valuable and equally giving his life for. And because this is true as Christ followers, we are to value one another equally. And this one thing is going to set us so far apart from the world and will speak volumes to the world about who Jesus is. On your verse sheet, let's read Galatians 3 and also James 1. Galatians 3 says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. I love that verse. And then in James 
My brothers and sisters, believe in our glorious Lord Jesus. Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus must not show favoritism. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? So these two pictures, I think, gives a very clear picture, these two verses, of what equality means in the eyes of the Lord. So whatever respect or deference or love that Philemon would show to Paul as a spiritual mentor and as an apostle, he was also to show to Onesimus despite the fact that Onesimus is a slave with no legal rights or social status. Doing that was the essence of humility. And by doing that, Philemon would be living out the truth of 1 Corinthians 13.4 on your outline. Love is not proud. And that kind of love can change everything. All right, let's go on and read verses 12 through 19. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to have kept him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I love that. On your outline, reconcile and forgive one another. This is going to get to the very heart of what Paul is asking of Philemon. So here we see that Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon with this letter in hand. And we know from chapter 4 of the book of Colossians that Philemon traveled from where Paul was in prison back to Colossae with Tychicus, another Christ follower, and they also had um, another letter in hand with him, and possibly many more. The fact that Onesimus willingly goes back to Philemon is astonishing to me. Under Roman law, the maximum penalty for a captured, caught, runaway slave was death in any way that the owner saw fit. Much more often, though, um, the owner wouldn't have chosen um, to put the caught slave to death because then he would have had no future value to him. Instead, those captured slaves would have been punished with terrible cruelty. It was an extreme personal danger to himself that Onesimus chooses to go back to Philemon. I can only imagine the conversations that Paul and Onesimus had between those prison bars um, about Onesimus doing this. What Onesimus could have done, and probably what I would have done, would have been to say goodbye to Paul, take his new relationship with Jesus, and go to some third city, join a local church there, start a whole new life, new name, new identity. And I think he could have justified to himself doing that because of whatever grievance he had against Philemon that caused him to run away in the first place. But that is not what he chooses to do. 
this man is very young in his faith, and yet he still trusts God in the most extreme of circumstances with his very life when he walks back to Philemon's house. I think he could have only trusted God that deeply because now he has the Holy Spirit in him. So let's look on your verse sheet at 2 Timothy 1.7. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. That verse explains how and why Onesimus could do what he did. I am just in awe of this man. William Barclay, a Scottish theologian, wrote... Christianity is not out to help a man escape his past and run away from it. It is out to enable a man to face his past and rise above it. Let me just say that one more time. Christianity is not out to help a man escape his past and run away from it. It is out to enable a man to face his past and rise above it. That is a perfect description of what Onesimus was doing. Philemon certainly had a responsibility to Onesimus to seek what was best for him. But Onesimus sees that he has a responsibility to Philemon to own up to his past choices and to try to set things right. So moving on, I love Paul's tactfulness in verse 15 when he says, Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. So what happened was Onesimus stole his stuff and ran away, and he was never coming back. But Paul uses this very diplomatic language throughout the book with the purpose of softening Philemon's heart, helping make it easier for Philemon to um, focus on how Christ in him should dictate how he is to treat Onesimus instead of what Onesimus did to Philemon. On your verse sheet, let's read Philippians 2, 3 through 5. Again, this is Paul writing, and he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So immediately I asked myself, well, what was the mindset of Christ Jesus um, in terms of broken relationships? Jesus gives us some pretty clear idea of what he thought about this issue in the Sermon on the Mount. In these next two verses on Matthew 5, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will become called sons of God. And later in that same message, Jesus said, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So here Jesus tells us that loving a fellow believer is better than making a sacrifice. So it would be better to postpone that sacrifice or that act of worship and go and be reconciled to your brother first. Clearly, Jesus places a very high value on reconciliation, and that's why Paul does and why we should too. And the fact is, reconciliation is a blessing both to those who are involved and to all of us who get to witness it as well. Okay, let's move on to verses 18 and 19. And here... Paul's aim is to remove any obstacles from Philemon's ability to forgive and reconcile with Onesimus. In verse 18, Paul says, If he has done you any wrong 
or owes you anything, charge it to me. So this was an offer of generosity and selflessness on Paul's part that reveals just how deeply he cares for Onesimus. It's also a great reminder of what Christ did on the cross for these three men and for each of us. Onesimus was guilty, and Paul was in no way associated with any of Onesimus' crimes. But motivated by love, Paul chooses to fully pay Onesimus' debt so that he could have this totally restored relationship with Philemon. And it's the very same way that though Jesus was in um, no way a sinner, he paid our debt on the cross, our penalty for our sins, so that we could have a fully restored relationship with the Father. So really understanding what Christ did on the cross enables us and him to do the seemingly impossible, to forgive those who truly have wronged us, and to even go a step further and mend those broken relationships. I heard an interview on the radio recently with Sherry Rose Shepard, who is a um, Christian author and conference speaker. And part of her testimony revolves around this very difficult relationship she had with her mom. Uh, She and her mom had this very lucky relationship, and then from the age of 12 on, um, Sherry did not get to see her mom at all. And sometime between then and adulthood, Sherry had trusted Christ, now knew and loved the Lord, and because of that, reached out to her mom, hoping for reconciliation. So she wrote her mom this letter saying that she wanted to reconcile. Her mom wrote her back and said... Um, that every problem she had ever had in life was because she had chosen to be a mother. She wanted nothing to do with Sherry, didn't want any part in the relationship. But Sherry loved the Lord and wanted to pursue her mom, so she wrote her mother another letter back, told her mom that that she loved her, told her mom that she was sorry for all the difficult things that had happened in her life and that she really wanted them to know one another. Well, as a result of that letter, Sherry's mom now knows the Lord, They have a reconciled relationship, and I think that they even live together. I don't think it's an easy relationship. Her mom is still a difficult person, but there really was reconciliation in that relationship. And Sherry said that it was when she was willing to love her mom when her mom deserved it the very least that extraordinary things began to happen in that relationship. And so it's the cross that Sherry went back to and that we go back to when we don't feel like we can forgive. It's where we remember that we've been forgiven, and that's why we can forgive others. As believers with the Holy Spirit living in us, we are enabled to forgive those who have wronged us and then to even go a step further and be reconciled um, with those people. So when Onesimus chooses to go back to Philemon and face his past, and when Philemon chooses to forgive and consider this criminal slave as a beloved brother, that is 1 Corinthians 13.5 on your outline in action. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And that kind of love can change everything. So let's finish up and read verses 20 through 25. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. 
The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So Paul has made it very clear in this letter that he cares deeply for Onesimus. But because he's in prison, he cannot go back with Onesimus and have a face-to-face conversation with Philemon. What he can do instead is write this letter and then trust God to work in Philemon's heart so that Philemon can see Onesimus in the same way that Paul does. In verse 21, Paul says that he is confident of Philemon's obedience. And that's an interesting word to use there, obedience, considering that Paul has not commanded Philemon to do anything in this um, letter. But I think he uses that word obedience because ultimately it is, Phile- it is the Lord that Philemon is going to have to answer to and not to Paul. So Paul says that he's confident that Philemon will do even more than he's asked to do. So let's look on your verse sheet, that very last verse on the page, Ephesians 4, 1 through 2. Again, this is Paul. So we see how Paul has written these many letters with um, very common ideas and the application of that and what these men are doing here. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Paul does not attack slavery as a social institution in this letter. Instead, what he does is hone in on Philemon's heart response to a fellow believer. Christ working in us reaches beyond boundaries set up by the world. Christ working in us compels us to love everyone we come in contact with. And it's from the outflow of those personal convictions that unjust social institutions can then be attacked. And that was true in Paul's day, and it is still true now. So on your outline, radically love one another. Can you see how radical this whole situation is? Forgiving Onesimus of his crime and accepting him back into his home as an equal and as a beloved brother would have been totally unthinkable apart from Christ working in him. Philemon choosing to forgive Onesimus, bringing him back into his home with no punishment, would have neither been understood or accepted by any of his peers outside of the church at this time. And in fact, it probably brought with it some real um, chance of persecution on Philemon's part. It totally defied every expectation of that day. But as Christ followers, the way we live out our love for Jesus is by loving those around us, and that won't always make sense to the world, but we do it anyway. For us, radical love happens when we love the unlovable, when we forgive the unforgivable, when we honor difficult vows in marriage, when we reach out to those who are really different from us, even when it's uncomfortable when we pursue those hard-to-love people. And when we make choices like this, we put into practice 1 Corinthians 13.7 on your outline, love always protects and always perseveres. And that kind of love can change everything. Since this is a letter um, and not a full story with a beginning and a middle and an end, we're left with some important questions about what happens next. In fact, there were two nights when I first started studying this book, I woke up in the middle of the night and thought, what happened to Onesimus? 
I worried about him a lot. There is no historical record of what happens next, but commentators believe that because Philemon allowed this letter to be circulated publicly, in all likelihood, he did comply with what Paul asked him to do. Hopefully, there was a restored and even transformed relationship between a slave and a slave owner. So it's left to our imaginations what that reunion and then that subsequent relationship looked like. But based on what we've learned tonight, I have every confidence that a restored and even transformed relationship happened in that home. I know that an extraordinary work of God happened there. Because Christ in us can cause us to love beyond the expectations of the world, beyond our own expectations. So what is it that we learn from the book of Philemon? Because we live in a fallen world, social barriers and conflict are always going to exist. But as women who know and love the Lord, we get to reach across those dividing lines to love and serve one another. And when we do this, we are refreshing the hearts of other believers. We are pleasing the Lord, and we are displaying Jesus to a lost world. The power of Christ in us can change every relationship we have for the better. On the very bottom of your outline, let's read that great verse in um, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The power of Christ in us gives us the ability to love, and that love changes everything. So let's pray.